this is Accent, the Air University Teaching and Learning Center podcast. At Accent, we make connections between teachers, learners, and ideas in military education. The opinions, conclusions, and recommendations expressed or implied in this podcast are solely those of the speakers and do not necessarily represent the views of Air University, the United States Air Force, the Department of Defense, or any other U.S. government agency. Follow us online at www.airuniversity.af.edu slash TLC or on Twitter at Air Teaching for more. Welcome to the Axon Podcast, the official podcast of the Air University Teaching and Learning Center. I am your host, Dr. Megan Hennessy, Director of the AUTLC, here today with Captain Brad Kelly. Captain Kelly is the Chief of Training at the 128th Air Control Squadron out of the Wisconsin Air National Guard. His background is in K-12 education, and he holds an EDD in Organizational Change and Learning from Baylor. Hey, Captain Kelly, how are you? Hey, good, Dr. Hennessy. How are you this morning? I'm good. I, I found you on LinkedIn uh, posting about your dissertation, and that's what we're really here to dive into today because it's, I think, really a unique approach to looking at research on training-specific environments. So tell us about the problem or the gap in performance that made you start your study. What's it all about? Yeah. Uh, so first off, before I get into that, I just want to say thank you so much for uh, for reaching out on LinkedIn and giving me this opportunity uh, to present my research. And uh, I have to give a quick plug. I, I went through Axon's uh, podcast and I went back to episode two and uh, all on uh, neurodivergent learners. And I, I absolutely love that episode. So if there's anybody listening that is in the uh, interested in going back and looking at a really good episode. I would highly encourage that one. I thought that was great. You touched on a lot of the things that I'll probably touch on today from uh, diver- uh, differentiated instruction, um, just di- differentiated learning as a whole. Uh, so I thought that was really good. So that's my plug for you there. Um, I love the work that you're doing and and everything that Air University is currently putting out. So thank you for that. Wow, I didn't um, expect a cheerleader. Thank you. <laughs> Well, you're welcome. Um, so anyways, back to your question, uh, really the problem at hand that that got me started with this uh, current research problem that I worked on for my doctorate degree was uh, during my unit's last deployment. So it would have been 2017 actually was the last deployment I went on with my unit. And uh, it, it was a really tough deployment. Um, a lot of the things that we were facing in the Middle East, and, and I guess I should specify, I'm a, by trade, I'm a 13 Bravo air battle manager. So command and control, talking to the jets or talking to the, the aircraft over the skies of Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan at the time, um, you know, making sure, you know, weapons, sensors, fuel, everything is prioritized in accordance with the commander's intent. We're getting the missions done day in and day out. And uh, really the thing that I ran into was was well into the deployment after we had kind of been run through the ringer. Uh, everybody could do their job flawlessly. I, I truly believe the unit I belong to is the best in the Air National Guard in terms of the air control squadron community and the, the operators and the aircraft controllers that I work with are outstanding. Um, but it was self-identified by a few of them uh, when it got to the tail end of the deployment, they could do the job flawlessly, but when it came time to teach or instruct the units that were coming in to replace us so that we could come back home stateside, they were, they were having issues relaying how they do their job. And uh, they came to me because they knew I, I had a background in, in education and I was one of the primary instructors at our unit at the time. 
And uh, really all fingers kind of pointed back to me of, well, what does our instructor upgrade training program look like? Are we truly preparing our aircraft controllers um, how to teach? And a lot of the things as a K-12 education teacher in the public school setting that I maybe take for granted in terms of uh, classroom management, uh, how to develop uh, informative, informative, uh, you know, summative assessments, things like that. Uh, you know, I kind of take for granted because I, I got my bachelor's degree in that. Um, and so really what I started looking at was the program itself and, and how I could really kind of start looking at how are we best preparing our controllers? And that was really the problem that kind of started uh, started me off on this. And I, and I do have to admit, it's kind of funny. Uh, I recently left my unit for about three years and was working in, on a staff tour with National Guard Bureau. And anybody who's worked staff before knows that any operation or mission that comes up, uh, you, you're pretty much working on PowerPoint slides day in and day out. And I found myself uh, just kind of after a while beating my head against the wall saying, you know, really, am I putting this much time into PowerPoint slides versus the actual content? Uh, you know, making sure the font was correct and everything was colorized the same on the slides and all that. So, so really my doctoral project really started off as a personal vendetta against PowerPoint, I have to admit. Um, but, uh, it, and that kind of related to our training program because that was, that was the method of instruction at the time. It was, is what I refer to as unimodal instruction, meaning a single mode of instruction. A lot of times in the military setting, it's, it's PowerPoint. And so really that's, that's what my doctoral research started off uh, looking at is, is really these PowerPoint slides or this training program that uses PowerPoint slides as the primary method. Is it really effective or is it effective as it could be? This is amazing. It's like weaponized anti-PowerPoint research. <laughs> I love it. Yes, yes. So your participants that you interviewed, they were complaining about the heavy reliance on PowerPoint. Did they know that there may have been other options? So they weren't necessarily um, complaining that PowerPoint was used. They were they were just self-identifying that they were struggling with, with teaching and um, really doing on-the-job training for the other aircraft controllers that were coming into theater to replace us. Um, it was really kind of just my background in education that kind of pinpointed me to, well, what is, you know, what is the syllabus? What is the, what is the content delivery method look like? And so all those kind of things um, kind of led me to that. The first glaring problem in my educated opinion was, you know, why are we just using PowerPoint? There's so many other methods and modes of instruction out there. And, uh, you know, I'm coming from the K-12 education setting. I've been around to see kind of these these phases in education, I'll call them, where, you know, dating back to my years in school, you see the, the classroom teacher walk in and have the students crack open the textbook and read the chapter and answer the questions at the end of the section, day in and day out. And then, you know, I'm old enough to remember the overhead projector and transparency papers in that whole phase. And then, you know, we had a, sh a short phase with smart boards and thankfully that's gone. I was never a fan, but, um, you know, now we're a lot of the schools that I was teaching in, we had one-to-one -one iPads and there's a ton of apps out there for iPads these days that are, that are super beneficial. And uh, I, I was very thankful when I did my internship, I worked with a school teacher who uh, he refused, he made it a goal for himself and for me when I was working with him to, uh, to make it a goal to not use the textbook a single time or PowerPoint a single time. And instead, what we did was small group work 
We did project-based learning. Uh, we used supplemental videos, supplemental readings, um, just a whole wide variety of instructional methods. And uh, it, it was really effective. And what we saw uh, throughout that course of time, it was about six months to a year, students were, they were excited to learn. They were really, really engaged. Um, and likewise, you know, I, I've been in the classroom where it's a PowerPoint slideshow is given day after day. And, and it's just what I refer to as a, a sit and get type of method of instruction where students are just sitting in their chair all day long and they're just getting information kind of shoved their way. And, um, you know, it, it's not exciting for a lot of people. Um, it's, it's not uh, engaging, I guess, and, and research shows that that's really what it, uh, helps in the retainment of knowledge and learning process. There's one um, quote or excerpt from your dissertation that really stood out to me. So th this is from your work. You say, quote, the ABM instructors did not know how to intervene appropriately when their students fell behind and failed to keep up with the intense number of aircraft pilot requests coming over the radio simultaneously from dozens of military aircraft cockpits. That seems pretty intense. And when I read that, I immediately thought, what are the implications of this when it comes to authentic assessment? Yes, absolutely. Um, it, it definitely can be an intense career field at times where you're, you're talking to sometimes dozens of aircraft over a frequency at all at the same time. And, uh, you know, making sure altitudes are de-conflicted, um, certain assets are getting overhead targets and dropping bombs. Um, other aircraft at the same time are simultaneously just transiting in airspace to get to, uh, let's say, a tanker orbit if it's an aerial refueling platform like a KC-135. Um, so there, you know, there's a lot happening. There's multiple mission sets happening simultaneously. So, so really, you know, to your point, it's it can be a safety issue. So, instructing and teaching our instructors to the best of our ability should be at the foremost of all of our priorities uh, because literally lives are on the line. Um, and so, you know, when it comes to assessments and how to, how to, when somebody's instructing a, an operator, or aircraft controller over the shoulder, uh, they really have to be on their toes and they really have to, you know, there's not a, there's not a necessarily a written script that they have to follow. They just have to know when to intervene and when is the proper time to intervene before something uh, goes wrong um, or something be, starts to become a safety issue. So how, I mean, how do you teach that and get after the replication of stress from the operational environment, but in a safe learning environment? Absolutely. So we, we do simulated missions a lot. Um, I would say that's a good majority of the missions that we do in Garrison Home Station are a lot of simulated missions. Uh, where we can repl replicate talking to dozens of aircraft at the same time in high stressful situations. And, uh, and really, it, it just comes down to reps, unfortunately, reps and just instinct and gut feeling. And so when you're instructing and things are starting to go bad, uh, if you're an experienced instructor, you, you start to know like, hey, uh, this situation that's about to unfold or is starting to unfold is can get kind of uh, uh, tricky or, or dangerous. And so you, you just kind of, you start to pick up after, you know, years of experience that, uh, that innate instinct to step in, intervene. Uh, if you have, you know, guide that student that's talking over the radio to the pilots, then, you know, if, if need be, you can, sometimes it happens. You have to, you have to tell that student, like, 
these are my radios now, or this is my mission now. And you need, the student needs to get up and let the instructor sit down because it's, you know, it's not always the student's fault. It's just a, a very dangerous situation that's happening and let the more experienced instructor sit down and, and finish the rest of the mission. Is that like in Navy speak and I've got the con moment? Uh, yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or in driver's ed, how the instructor sitting in the passenger seat had that emergency brake. <laughs> <laughs> that, yes, that's a great analogy. That's a great way to put it. Yes. Yeah. So you talked about experience levels and something else that really was striking from your research was this comparison of metrics regarding prereqs. So prerequisites um, for air battle managers in the Air National Guard, which is zero, <laughs> compared to thousands of hours for prereqs for pilots and ICBM operators. And also, you know, a fairly rigorous uh, prerequisite requirement for active duty air battle managers. So why the disparity between Air National Guard and active duty? Yeah, so, you know, you know, I don't know the 100% answer to that, but, you know, I can, I can reasonably conclude that a lot of that comes just due to the nature of the organization. So the Air National Guard and our instructors, uh, you know, we see them one weekend a month. Uh, so we're not seeing them Monday through Friday, every single day of the week, a lot of them, unless they're a full-timer such as myself. Um, Whereas the active duty component, on the other hand, you know, it's, it's full time, Monday through Friday, seven days a week if necessary. And so um, when it comes to, let's say, a standard was set or a prerequisite standard was set, a, you need to have three, we'll call it 300 control hours before you can be admitted into the upgrade program to become an instructor. Well, that's going to take somebody in the Air National Guard years when we only see them one week in a month. Whereas on the active duty side, you know, it, it could be a year or two, they're a, they're a young captain or mid-level captain. And, and so now it's, they're seasoned enough, they should probably become an instructor. Uh, so there, I think there's some differences there in, in why we see that. Um, but that was definitely one of the, one of the things in my research that I was able to highlight. And I reached out and I, I had done interviews with A-10 pilot, like you mentioned, the ICBM operator, a uh, tanker pilot as well. And I just, I asked around the, the rest of the operational community of what are the rest of your career fields doing in terms of instructor upgrade? And uh, that's kind of how I got my rough numbers in my research of just kind of the disparity. And a lot of times too, when, when individuals are finally admitted into that instructor upgrade program, I looked at, well, how is, what is the venue or what is the content in which they're receiving to become an instructor uh, certified operator? And so a lot of times, like the active duty air battle managers, uh, they have a they have a dedicated squadron, you know, where they they pull their 13 Bravo uh, ABMs off the line squadrons and they send them to the schoolhouse. Now, we don't have that. We don't have dedicated schoolhouse where we can just send somebody to become an instructor. A lot of times, and, you know, you're talking Air National Guard. So a lot of these individuals are balancing civilian careers at the same time. So it's it may be difficult for them to go to an in-house training venue away and take that time away from their civilian jobs. So uh, there's definitely some trickiness to that. And how can we provide, you know, the best product with the limitations and the left and right bounds that we're working with within the Air National Guard? So let's flip it and take a more positive outlook. 
<laughs> what are some of the strengths that the Air National Guard ABMs bring to the community, to the operational forces um, that can help establish the argument that we should keep this, we should keep going, even with these issues? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think at the end of my research, you know, I, I put forward a proposal of how we can maybe close the gap. How can we beef up this instructor upgrade program? Um, so I, I've got a proposal out there and we're already starting to do some of it within my squadron in terms of our next uh, batch of instructors who are going through the program. Uh, I think the next thing is, uh, you know, I kind of already hit on it, but the civilian, uh, the civilian occupations that the Air National Guard brings to the total force fight. Uh, is, you know, you can't, you can't diminish that. Um, you know, I, I'm working with young airmen, first class, senior airmen who are, uh, you know, they're engineers in the civilian world. They, you know, they're in the lower enlisted ranks, but yet they've, they've already got their master's degrees. So it's, it's really incredible. It, we have a diverse uh, workforce that comes in one weekend a month and, uh, Really, the experience that they bring from the outside into the uh, from the civilian world is it's incredible. Uh, we we've just we've got a ton of people that are always bringing stuff in, uh, knowledge that they have, a way that they built a, a product or maybe a policy that they have at their civilian uh, place of employment. That you know it's it's really good. We never thought of it before, and so we ask them to tell us more about it, and we try to incorporate it and implement it as best as we can. So uh, I think. I think there's definite value uh, in the Air National Guard, uh, the C2 community and the Air Control Squadron community when it comes to outside experiences of individuals. Thank you. You, you sold me on it. <laughs> <laughs> Narrowing down just a little bit uh, with sort of our closing question here, you mentioned project-based learning. Are there any other specific instructional strategies or methods of teaching uh, or curriculum design that came forward as you were thinking about what you would recommend to meet this problem? Yes, absolutely. Um, so when we when I currently look at the the current instructor program, it's it's pretty much self guided PowerPoints um, for the most part. And so, you know, looking at what the A10 community is doing, uh, talking with some of my research participants from the that community. Um, what the active duty component is doing in the air battle manager community. They're, they've got some great ideas and they're doing some really wonderful things. So like you mentioned, uh, project-based learning, small group work, uh, mission plan, small mission planning cells or what we call, you know, to do rock drills or rehearsal of concept drills are effective. Uh, the one thing I really like that the uh, ICBM operator participant pointed out in my research was they shadow every single crew position. Uh, so I think that's definitely important. We have a lot of different uh, uh, crew positions that make up a team of, of controllers. And so I think it's important for us to shadow each crew position personally uh, so that we know what all of our teammates are doing, what their responsibilities are, what we can expect from them, what we cannot expect from them. Uh, so I think that's important. But then also, uh, you know, getting people more in the books. So and the way to do that is maybe some short, interesting, engaging supplemental readings that are a few pages long. Uh, supplemental videos can be very effective as well. There's a, a really good mission planning video uh, that I showed during the during the instructor upgrade training program now at my unit uh, from a, a joint mission planning um, process that was kind of uh, didn't go so effective. Uh, 
in the war in Afghanistan early on. And so we use that as kind of a, the lessons learned from that event as kind of a, uh, an emphasis on why mission planning is important and how to do it properly. So I think there's, there's just a, a ton of different avenues in which we can all, whether it's my community in the, the 13 Bravo community or any really Air Force AFSC out there, uh, all I've kind of really, and I put a, all I can really ask and what I did in, at the end of my research proposal was I just, I simply asked us, let's all just stop and ask ourselves a simple question. Are we doing absolutely everything to the best of our ability when it comes to training our people? Uh, if the answer is, well, you know, I just, I slap up the PowerPoint that's been given for the last 10 years and call it a day, that's probably not the right answer. So I would just simply make the, make the request that everybody ask themselves that question and then see where they can go from there. Can we start implementing some of these different instructional strategies to, to really help our people learn to the most effective means possible? Captain Brad Kelly, thank you. I don't think we can end on a better note than that. Uh, is there anything else you want to share with us before we sign off? I don't think so. I just want to thank you once again and, and you know, thank Air University for all the, all the work you're doing. For years as an as a education uh, teacher, a K-12 education teacher, I went through all the PME, the, you know, the commissioning source. I, I was prior enlisted as well, so I went through basic training and Airman Leadership School, and then when I became an officer, it was uh, went through SOS a couple years ago. So I've always been wondering, you know, who are the who are the brains behind the PME operation in terms of how uh, content is delivered and, and how uh, effective individuals are being trained throughout the PME uh, Air University channels. So again, it's finally nice to put a face with the name and uh, just want to thank you for all the work that you're doing. Um, so I think that's it. Thank you very much. Thanks, Brad. We'll see you at ACSC, right? <laughs> that's right, hopefully. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Axon, the Air University Teaching and Learning Center podcast. Stay current on these and other ideas in military education by following us online at www.airuniversity.af.edu/tlc or on Twitter at Air Teaching. <laughs>